Hello and welcome to Games in Time. Now, the usual show for Games in Time that we've been starting over at Rhymes with Asia on YouTube and at rhymeswithasia.com. Short 10-minute podcasts recapping the game news. I do miss the longer form of podcasting, though. And so I think it's more of a when I feel like it kind of thing. We're going to kind of break out and do these longer podcasts, whether it's catching up with different people or delving into specific topics. And this is one that I wanted to do for quite some time after beating this game this year. It's Danganronpa V3 Killing Harmony. Uh, came out at the end of September. And after beating it, I know there was one other person who was playing this obsessively, and I had to talk to him about this. Uh, please welcome Alex O'Neill from IrrationalPassions.com. Thank you for having me on, Peter. I'm excited yes. to talk about yes. Danganronpa. I think this is a game where there are just so many spoilers. I mean, when you're talking about six chapters and each chapter is a murder mystery, mm-hmm. who is going to have, you know, who dies, first of all, who's the culprit? How does it get there? What are the underlying stories in Danganronpa? How does it fit into the overall Danganronpa universe? There's so much and you can't just dance around it all. So mm-hmm. I know you, you played this game you know, almost obsessively. I remember seeing your tweets over yeah. at Alfighter27 mm-hmm. on Twitter. And you're saying like, I there hit a point I couldn't put it down. You know, this is like a 40 plus hour game. It, it gets intense. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts and we can talk just briefly before going into very detailed spoilers and all that in case people are interested what Danganronpa is, is V3 worth it? Can you play the game without the others? Just, I guess your initial impressions, maybe going into playing V3 and then maybe coming out of it. I, uh, so going into it, I went in pretty, pretty much blind. Like I didn't even, I hadn't even seen half the characters, I had wanted to play. They put out a demo of it, which is like not content that ends up being in the game, but is a nice little taste of the characters and, and their banter and how the systems work when it comes to the actual mechanical parts of the game, which are the class trials. So I hadn't even gotten to play that. So going in pretty much blind, but having obviously played the the first two uh, when they come out in 2014, big fans of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the upper echelon of the series is that first one because of how it took me it's such a roller coaster ride and it takes you on such a good trip too uh, i think this one definitely harkens back to that more than dangarampa 2 which is like off the off the rails completely mm-hmm. crazy yeah uh, and three is crazy too don't get me wrong they're all absurd but uh the setting and the way it's paced out and the way the characters and all kind of interact with one another really reminds me of that first game and i i really like how it kind of plays itself out in regards to the those first two mm-hmm. i do think uh i feel like you could probably jump into this one and, and still have a really great time um but it definitely helps that I, that you've played the first two yeah i think two was very very dependent on the first one yeah completed this one through a certain point uh, as I believe you also said on your Irrational Passions podcast as well, uh, mm-hmm. through a certain point, you can get away with it. I mean, they really establish these characters as individuals on their own without any other ties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like, you know, two where you had an initial character who had questionable ties back to the first game. Uh, but yeah, this one you could play on your own for a while, but when you start to get into end game stuff, I think it's important to have at least cursory knowledge of at least number two, but definitely of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because you're right, I think 
the first game, Danganronpa Trigger Happy Havoc, uh, really was just a fresh idea. And these were PSP games in Japan, and they got a Vita version in Japan before coming over here. I mean, to have those first two games hit stateside, both in 2014, I mean, that was that was a lot to take in. Yeah. And I don't know, did you ever play uh, Ultra Despair Girls? That was in 2015. I did not, and I was worried going into it that there would be a lot of references to it. I think there's maybe like a handful at most, but um, I didn't end up playing it. It, I I hear it's fine on its own merits, but it's definitely not essential to enjoying this game. Yeah, it's fine. Totally different game. Um, It has some cool little twists, I suppose, but it's not a you know, a killing game as, you know, Danganronpa is known for. And so I played that. I also played, uh, or not even played, watched the uh, Danganronpa 3 end of Hope's Peak High School anime mm-hmm. where, it, and I'm not sure if you got around to seeing that as well, because that, that was an odd one where they have two separate arcs. They have it going on in, uh, on Funimation right now for a dub. Yeah, I haven't seen it at all. And that kind of closes out the story of the first two games, from mm-hmm. what I understand. Yeah, so there is the Despair arc, which is essentially takes place before the events of 2. It's the characters from 2, but their school life, you know, before they get sucked up into the Jabberwock Island and, and all of that. Uh, so kind of how they became who they did again, trying to be light on spoilers for, for those other games. And then the, the future arc in that they alternated episodes in these arcs. So it must've been odd watching it when it aired, but I saw these two arcs just, you know, back to back after the fact, this future arc as opposed to despair arc. It was a whole new killing game, but takes place immediately after two and it's Makoto Nayagi and the Future Foundation, but something has a killing game has taken place inside Future Foundation. Mm, okay. So it's it's kind of odd to see kind of those big holes kind of close, I suppose. Um, but as far as V three goes, uh, I think yeah, I think I agree with you that I like the first one probably the most because of the characters are so memorable. Uh, I mean, for me in particular, Kyoko Kirigiri. I mean, like. To have her as that kind of stabilizing force in that game and then how she persists throughout the series, I think that's it's a really interesting stabilizing figure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really like her as a second protagonist in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, I love the twist endings at the end of 2, but overall the setting and some of the characters weren't as strong, but I, I love how 2 ties back in the first one. This one, though, it's... It is all on its own. Uh, so I also wanted to kind of highlight then the key game differences. Uh, if you are pl- if you played the first two Danganronpa games and you're familiar with the whole setup of it takes place in a high school or on an island, you have 16 skilled teenagers who are ultimates at specific talents. It kind of goes Battle Royale style, which is you know, a big whole thing in video games this year, but you know, <laughs> Hunger Games, Battle Royale, everyone is kind of put in the same environment and they're told they have to kill each other in order to escape. Otherwise mm-hmm. they can't get out. When someone, when a student kills another, there is an investigation of who done it. And then it's the idea of the class trial where the you have the blackened who is the culprit and they have to try to trick the others into believing that the culprit is someone else so that if the culprit escapes and is not convicted they get to go free while everyone else dies if the culprit is convicted they are 
they are executed. And so it's a really dark sort of theme series. I think from the get-go, I always thought Danganronpa was like, it's it's so much like Ace Attorney in so many ways. And so I think if you're looking to get into the series and you're wondering what's a good sort of test series for that, uh, it's Ace Attorney. It's a visual novel. It's a lot of reading and investigating and presenting evidence that contradicts statements. So a lot of you know, rooted in that series, a lot of inspiration from there. Uh, I would also put the Zero Escape series for a lot of its dark, grotesque themes. Um, definitely, you know, some existential uh, themes going in there. It's a kind of influence, I think, from there. And then you have a bit of light splash with a uh, favorite of ours, the Persona series, where you have downtime where you get to build social links with characters and kind of get to know them a bit better. There's a gift-giving aspect there to help speed it along so i just love this series man i really do uh but the key game differences i think when you're talking about what makes this one different uh, right off the top they they express it as lying is a big key i mean in the first game is all contradictions contradictions the second game they add well you can now agree with characters in the class trials and find uh your, your truth bullets your evidence that supports what another character is saying but this one lying uh i'm i wasn't the biggest fan of it to be honest really i um i like that it's it's mostly optional mm-hmm. um and you can basically i think they call it like backdoor um evidence uh i used it a couple of times did you I, really wow yeah i found it they're like i guess like hidden ways around it um I didn't like there was usually like two or three per trial and I would usually find one or two and uh, never all of them. But uh, I thought it was cool in how you can manipulate things and it does lead to different conversations, but it all kind of railroads back right. onto where you're supposed to be. But it some of the circumstances are more very funny uh, and humorous to just kind of take you off the rails and then back onto it mm-hmm. it's a fun manipulation game i guess did you see if it ever like i guess it would be hard to say you know your first time through it's such a long game after all but they presented as the idea that if you lied in an accurate and effective way that you could almost like skip ahead in, in the class trial like you know cut out maybe a good chunk of of the trial i mean did yeah, you it, ever get the sense of that it did there was one time i think it was in the second trial um, there was one time where it seemed like you can kind of distract away from this because a, a lot of the the trials in this game meander on a little bit too long and mm-hmm. they more meticulously go over things that you don't necessarily have to go over so there's one point where they were just kind of exploring one person as a suspect and I lied my way past it and huh. we just kind of like moved on everyone moved on with their lives and that was the only time it definitely felt like Okay, that was that was cool, and that helped move this along faster. Interesting. I think it's more of uh, it's a longer conversation with more choices, and then if you lie your way through it, you kind of you skip the part where it takes a little bit longer. Um, but that's all. Yeah, I did appreciate that it did seem to be an optional thing to do because I did not like doing it, but there were certain instances where like they did force you to do it, at mm-hmm. least in the first three, four cases in the last couple. I don't think I was ever, you know, forced to, to lie at all. I think they, at that point they kind of said, okay, we'll, we'll take the reins off a little bit. You can do that if you want to, but if you want to play, you know, like a straight laced character, then, then by all means, mm-hmm. uh, 
so that was the the biggest difference as far as the class trials went. Uh, you know, they had all the different mini games. I liked the addition of the V counters. Uh, I think it, you know, added a little bit more of a pinpointedness when you were firing your truth bullet to get you some of those extra coins at the end of each chapter. Maybe it was just an extra little thing instead of just firing at this big word. You're like, maybe if I can try to pinpoint it precisely. Yeah, I I would say like a lot of the ones where it was. Like mass panic to d- debate where multiple people are talking mm, yeah. is really cool, and I like how that ended up working out. But it was, I think, the the ones where we had seen that mechanic before, specifically like Hangman's Gambit, right. where they kind of tried to mix it up. Where I was like, this this isn't really working. Mm. Um, I hated to see the uh, the crossing swords, the the rebuttal showdown. I hated to see that come back again because that was yeah. my least favorite from two. Yeah, and uh, I mean, like, I think my least favorite from two is like the weird skiing minigame or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was just completely gone. It was kind of replaced by the um, the psyche taxi, right? Uh, but that was at least a, lo- a little bit more enjoyable. I liked the the music and the whole like good and everything that went with the the psyche taxi. Uh, yeah. But it it went too long, uh, yeah. especially when letters started moving more at the end. It's just like I just I want to pick these up. Come on, like, I yeah. don't have to. I shouldn't have to slow down necessarily. Uh, the the breaking of the blocks, the mind mine, uh, was an interesting little mini game. I always was forgetting the pattern, so I could yeah. never use it effectively. But you know, it was to a point where like, okay, if I break a few blocks here and there, it's not going to be a big hit on the time. Yeah, I, I liked the debate scrum when everyone was polarized. I think at certain moments it was really effective, but I didn't feel it was necessary to have it in every chapter. Yeah. It was very much like, a, all right, here's the moment where we do our like magical girl transformation yeah. animation. <laughs> uh, and the whole classroom turns into a rocket ship or something. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, the whole animation, you couldn't skip it every single time. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, well, I, I get it. Um, yeah. Breaking down the character's armor at the end with the argument armament that was it was different but essentially the same as in past games and mm-hmm. uh, the closing argument with the manga is always the best part of yeah you know the games to just try to piece everything together though I did have one instance where uh, the game crashed like right as I was putting the last piece in and it was trying to load up the here's how everything happened. Uh, hard hard crash and i had to (laughs) go back like an hour skip all attacks and it's just like oh man i should have i should have saved as opposed to it was it was just at the uh the halfway point that i had my last save at yeah uh but you know just a a random fluky glitch there i am curious uh did you end up playing on vita or ps4 i played on playstation tv (laughs) okay so technically the vita cart but mm-hmm. on a big TV, and you got to download the, the high-quality patch because there's one for Vita. I guess you know there was a, a big deal when the demo came out for Vita where like the, the audio quality is not so good. And they're like, well, here's a 1.2 gigabyte patch with higher-quality audio samples. And it's like, thanks. That's, that's a big help. So yeah. I, interesting to play on PSTV. It wasn't too different. I think maybe some of the animations were a little smoother when you see the PS4 and the 60 frames per second, all that. But yeah, uh, you still get essentially the same experience. I mean, you're still using a DualShock in the end. Yeah, I played on on PS4 because I'm like all for just all video games on the TV. Uh, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was cool to to switch from Vita to PS4. It was a good experience. 
Yeah, and uh, it, what, made, what made this interesting for me was uh, my wife is also a big fan of the series, but it was always that I had, had played it first. I mean, in 2014, my wife's from England. She had not played them. But it was when she moved over here, like, you, get, you have to play these. So play them later. But now this is a game that we both played together. Uh, and it was mostly just me controlling while she was watching or say like, oh, spend free time with this person and, and all that. It, it made it a really fun game to experience as a couple, uh, but it definitely also stretched out the time it took for me to play the game. Because like you, I would have said like, give me a weekend, I will play this nonstop. Uh, but otherwise, it's like, okay, we're breaking out in you know, two-hour chunks. And by the end, yeah, we were spending, we spent like a whole Saturday, like, yeah, 12 hours just going through it. So it was nice that it ended up working out that way. But um, that was that was interesting. And that could have only really been done on a TV as opposed to just, you know, headphones on, Vita, lock, check. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Vita does have the benefit, if you are playing by yourself, of like, in my case, rolling up, waking up out of bed and <laughs> on my day off, and just grabbing it, yep. and then just like going right into playing it and never looking back. So. Oh yeah, uh, that's that's fantastic. Let's get into the spoiler section, though. If you've tuned in this long and you have not played this game, might be a good time to get out now. Mm-hmm. Just as a warning, this game <laughs> starts out with one of the best first chapters of the entire series. Yeah, uh, and you know. I'm trying to get my brother to play this game. He's he's doing things like he's got uh, NHL 18 and he's doing some career mode in there. And he's like, oh, I want to eventually try, you know, Forza 7 and all. I'm like, you need to play Danganronpa V3 at the very least, Chapter 1. Like, yeah. get through Chapter 1, see how you feel about it. Uh, because he's, he's played the other two. And so you think he'd enjoy oh, yeah. it. But but how this one starts and it's interesting you mentioned the demo uh, i tried the demo on ps4 and i didn't get the benefits because the save doesn't really carry over the vita version but for the demo cool to experience the characters um interesting how it kind of mirrored a lot of the events of danganronpa one but just kind of set in a new sort of thing with the, these new characters so mm-hmm. they're setting up it's like oh discover a, a body in your room and oh no they're in the shower and it was uh, it was Yasuhiro Hagakure from the first game who was the victim so like he's there lying out in the shower and the, the pink blood and everything and so you're then you go into the, the class trial but it's all these these new v3 characters uh, so that was kind of cool and they made at reference at the end it's like oh haven't haven't we done this before or something like that it was, was kind of neat but that was my experience with these characters and going into it, you know, a lot of the promotional material is all about Kaede. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, a female protagonist. She's got the ahoge or whatever it is, the little hair flip bit that kind of <laughs> helps determine, yes, you are a protagonist in the Danganronpa universe. Uh, and yeah, you're, you're interacting with this oddly enough, ultimate detective character of Shuichi. And he has a hat on. So I was like, okay, you know, makes sense, detective. Uh, It's not the big old Sherlock Holmes hat, but it's a hat nonetheless. But I just want to get to the crux of it. Mm -hmm. The false protagonist was shocking. The ultimate red herring. Yes. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear people talk about this game and try to dance around this like, Oh, I don't want to spoil this bit for anyone. Cause you really should experience it. You could even say it's, it's right up there with, you know, swapping snake for, for Raiden and in Metal Gear Solid two, except without the deep attachment to solid snake. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I had not seen anything like that in the promotional material. Yeah. And so that blindsided me. Yeah, like I didn't even know it was a female protagonist until I started playing the game. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, this is very cool. Uh, and then, yeah, the ultimate red herring. Uh, and it was funny because going into that first class trial, I was thinking like, man, I wonder what a situation would be like if you were the killer. Mm. And then I just totally brushed it aside because oh, it no. was just a random thought. And then it, it, everything started to unravel in front of me. And I was like, oh, God, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. I mean, going into it, I mean, you're just thinking like, oh, Shuichi. Like, it, it's, it's Shuichi. Like, going into the trial, like... I, I hate to say it, but you know, he's the one who set up the cameras. He would know how it works. I mean, he was there at the end. He went first. I mean, all all those things you'd think would point to him. And yeah, the fact that Kaede is the culprit, mm-hmm. uh, killing Rantaro, who was oddly enough, you know, asking a lot of questions, you know, he he knew too much in mm-hmm. a way. Uh that was that was surprising. I mean, yes, this took place in the library with the the shot put ball and rolling down the track and having the camera flash lure Rantaro over and then drop, uh, at least so it was presented to us uh, with that evidence. Um, yeah, just very a very surprising initial class trial when, I mean, the first game in Danganronpa, very straightforward, almost written out right for you. I mean, very by the numbers sort of case to kind of get you into the game and then uh, in two with the you know the poking through the floor and the the pitch black uh, sort of uh setup that was also rather easy once you you figured everything out but yeah this one it's just it takes what you know about danganronpa expects that you've played the other games and then blindsides you it's wild and i think that's that's one of the coolest parts about v3 as a fan of danganronpa is the game lays down so many really excellent hints to where it would mess with your expectations, but takes you down a completely separate path because it knows you've played Dangarapa before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's constantly doing that literally through the end uh, yes, to the yes. final moments. Uh, and even like this class trial retroactively by the end is, is brought into question and the way that they kind of play around with that. And it, mirrors a lot of the things that happen in the first Dangarampa specifically, but uh, in a very different light and yeah. executed on very differently. And I, I really like that about it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it, it set an interesting emotional hook for the rest of the game because you had this new protagonist of Shuichi take off the hat and you had that little, that little hair flip, yep. uh, you know, had him constantly going back to, you know, keeping Kaede's promise and, she just wanted to help. She just wanted to have everyone get out and be friends and wanted to catch the mastermind. And that's why she did what she did. And have that always kind of go back to it, uh, to have Claire DeLune be used. It's like coming out of nowhere. Like, man, that yeah. that hit hard. Like that was Yeah, it did. That was that was powerful. And it was funny for me personally, just because of when this came out, I was playing uh, Evil Within, another video oh, game, yeah. <laughs> uh, which uses the Claire de Lune in a very emotional, <laughs> specific way. And I was like, man, all these video games using Claire de Lune. Uh, but yeah, it is like it was surprisingly poignant. It was the the strongest opening of Dangarampa as far as like getting you so invested in the protagonist's journey. Absolutely. I, I wanted to to learn more. So we went on to then chapter two and 
everyone was kind of having kind of setting up their their different uh sort of identities and their personalities and you kind of were getting a sense of different people especially when you're you're saying okay free time go pick one like who, who are you going to choose and it's like okay uh i guess we started with gonta my wife really liked gonta early on gonta is so. the best gonta he's a cinnamon roll he is too <laughs> pure for this world he is too pure for this world also like rantaro the the unknown ultimate as of course there has to be gone right right from the get-go mm-hmm. uh, and i love that they kind of i was always kind of half expecting rantaro to come back at any yes point. yes uh, and they just totally leave you hanging on that for the whole game. Oh, they do. And yeah, one of the chapters, they, they play with that in a very real way when, and we'll get to it. Um, mm-hmm. but right when they, when they get to saying that like, Oh, we're going to have a magic show for everyone. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, just I was like, immediately okay. like, all right, somebody's going to die. Yeah, so what, what's going to go wrong. And, uh, interesting to have, you know, Ryoma was this, kind of cherub-like character, but he talked with more of like a gangster edge, and he's somehow a tennis pro that was using his tennis skills to kill mobsters, apparently. Uh, for him to be freaking eaten by piranhas, mm-hmm. uh, that was that was pretty crazy. Yeah, and it's another one of those highlight moments where, and I think V3 does it very well, where you see one thing and you're just questioning everything and it's happening so fast. Um, I think that happens like throughout all of the cases uh, and seeing him just floating in the water just to be torn to shreds is, is a really great moment in mm. the same regard. Yes. Yeah. It, it comes pretty much out of nowhere. I was not expecting him to be the one mm-hmm. who, who met his end there. That, that is for sure. Um, and then when the, the case kind of carries on, I had the biggest difficulty pinning this uh, culprit down, I think. Mm-hmm. So for Kirumi to end up being the culprit, Kirumi Tojo, the maid, uh, I think it was just because I didn't want to believe it was her. Yeah, because she was so helpful for everyone. So helpful uh, for everyone. And uh, yeah, just overall a very kind of pleasing, calming force across the whole group, which had you know some very strong personalities but the motive made no sense at least you know at the time so it took me several attempts before you know i came to the conclusion of oh like really and then uh, shocked yeah couldn't could not believe that and then yeah it ultimately makes sense the whole idea with the rope across the gym with the pool and connecting Ryoma's lab to the magic show and the bit of fabric i it never occurred to me with the gloves the, with like the, the rope burn and the, the glove that way. Yeah. I think one of the big things they, they, there was like a name for the rope tying or like the, the inner tube hanging off of the rope that everyone just kind of casually threw around like saying, Oh, she, she made a rope way. And I'm like, what's a rope. <laughs> yeah, way? I, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but this was the motive video one also. Yes. Yes. Um, which is something, uh, I think another aspect from Dengarampa 1, but what was great about the motive video in this is that it just, it became like this reoccurring, lingering presence mm-hmm. over the entire game. Uh, and I think most of the motives kind of do, because I think back to like the first motive in Dengarampa is like a, a hundred million yen or something like right, that. Right. Uh, and when you compare to how sinister and 
and horrible they get. It's just, uh, it's a whole new league of like these weird uh, motive videos coming and going mm-hmm. uh, through the story. But yeah, the ropeway, the the torn glove, the the drama, the tension, the acting prime minister. Yeah, yeah, like that 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 was crazy. Like when you, when you start to think for Danganronpa, like what's the overarching story? And to mm-hmm. think, like, when you have that drop down, it's like, uh, oh, yeah, she, she was really the acting prime minister of Japan. It's like, what are you talking about? They're going uh, for gold, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it would, I guess it makes sense because of how, how, you know, skilled of a character in many different ways she was. I mean, with cooking and cleaning, and it, it would seem to be no limit to her skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned the motive video because, yeah, the I think the big difference when we're expecting based off the first Danganronpa is, you know, Monokuma has all these videos and, you know, if you don't, you know, kill anyone, I'll, I'll show this to everyone. Well, this one was the idea that they were all mixed up amongst each other. So some people may know others' secrets and the kind of different tensions played off of that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And the just the aspect that some people got their own motive video yes. in the mix and always questioning what that would be. Mm-hmm. So for, for Kurumi, like that... That came out of nowhere. That was another, I think, because we also started uh, in my playthrough, we also started doing free time with her. And like that had to be cut short. And it's like, well, that sucks again. I never invest in free time because I'm always like, oh, the person I choose to spend time with is probably going to be the person that dies, Mm -hmm. which was true of Rantara right from the the get go. Yeah. Yeah. They start laying out some groundwork um, here. I think this is when Gonta discovers the note, the ever evolving note. Um, over in the park or, or the open area mm-hmm. um, and, and that starts playing into it and the motive video is is such a great Danganronpa is very good at just really laying out the pieces like all the corner pieces r- throughout the chapters so you kind of have to start building the points to the center mm-hmm. um, and it always comes into a picture that you never expect especially at the end you know after the trial's over they have to have something to you know lead you going into the next chapter and so yeah whether it's with the note in the courtyard or when they open on one of them and it's just like it's a news report and meteors are coming down and it's like what the fuck like yeah or uh, there was the one where it was the funeral for everybody yeah, and so the, you, then you start thinking of uh, you know similarities to two is like is this really a computer projection? Is everyone dead? Are they living in this virtual world? I mean, you definitely start using past knowledge of games and see like what are they bringing over? What what knowledge can I use to maybe start making sense of what's going on? Mm-hmm. How could we have guessed though? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Uh, and then I don't know how we haven't mentioned it yet, but you know the the mono cubs, uh, mm-hmm. the the monokuma cubs were a pretty important piece i mean instead of just you know monokuma and the the mastermind with everything i mean you have these five other entities that for what it's worth one of my favorite tracks on the soundtrack when they appear with the (laughs) one two (laughs) he is all that remains of a once powerful nation like all of that is just like i (laughs) you know maybe maybe the rise and shine or sign gets a little you know, tiring after a little bit, but uh, all their different uh, personalities as well just kind of adds into the mix. And yeah, going into it, you don't really expect Monokuma Cubs. Um, though, if you played uh, Ultra Despair Girls, they had Shirokuma and Kurokuma 
which is like an all white and all black uh, Monokuma. Kurokuma is like this this gangster sort of type, and then uh, Shirokuma is like this helpful sort of uh, Monokuma character. And they have some interesting tweaks. I don't want to spoil that. If anyone really wants to go back and play Ultra Despair Girls, like that's one of the cooler twists at the end of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to have five of these characters, and then they're all dying off one by one at the end of the chapters. Like so, it kind of gives you a sense of progression like okay we're we're getting somewhere something's happening here yeah it's it's all little stuff that that makes the 40 plus hours of the game kind of start feel like they're they are going forward too mm-hmm. and yeah some people do say that the later chapters like there's an issue with pacing overall with the game but i think at least in the earlier chapters to kind of set it up and it really really gets moving in that direction so let's get to chapter three um there was a case in the first Danganronpa game where you had two deaths, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of almost in a way it was back to back. Like they were kind of discovered close to the same time. There was a bit of the discrepancy with Taka and then Hifumi yes. were the two that died. And, yeah. you know, Taka died first and then Hifumi, you know, staggered in and then, uh, you know, it was Celeste in that case who crushed it. Mm-hmm. But... I think the staggering of the two deaths for the second death to happen mid investigation. Yeah. Also groundbreaking and shocking for this game. Yeah. To it happen like right in front of you also. Yes. Yes. Uh, that you, you know, were a possible potential suspect. So yeah, started with Angie and who her and Atua was, I, I was in a way I was kind of glad that she was killed. Cause like it was starting to get, a bit old but also then when you start adding the bits with the the religious like cult and everyone was you know bought in and everyone's got to have their curfew it's like okay it's it's time for you to go mm-hmm. uh but then yeah, tanko to be in a way the sacrificial lamb uh in the in this uh got the the ritual with the the prayer circles and all of that um yeah this all ties back to the necronomicon and the idea yeah. that maybe we can bring someone back. And it really got you thinking, like, is Rantaro going to come back? Like, this was that kind of brings the thought into play, especially when you start thinking virtual world could be entirely possible. Yeah, it was. It's not out of the realm of Danganronpa possibilities. <laughs> right, right. That's easy way to put it that way. Uh, but yeah, this is the one with the, the seesaw stomping. And yeah. uh, Korikiyo is the the culprit in this one, which is interesting because it seemed like the most straightforward one. When you start talking about all these examples of the occult and rituals and things like that. And he had such a deep interest in that as an anthropologist. Yeah. It almost felt a little anticlimactic to have it be him to be the culprit. This is, I I think probably the weakest trial just because of how long it goes, but also because of the culprit, mm-hmm. but I think it does. It sets up a lot of like character stuff in motion. Uh, Himiko, I think, goes the most places here, um, and uh, Kokichi. Obviously, you start to kind of yeah. peel back the layers, uh, is because he's he's a thorn in the side always. But this is when things start really going off the rails for him mm-hmm. uh, with how he tries to mislead the the trial and everything. Yes, yeah. So it. It's more of, I think the the things going on around the trial are more interesting uh, than the actual trial itself. Yeah, that's a good point. And the timing of 
Angie being killed, you know, as she discovered the the whole trap with the seesaw. That, that felt like not the, maybe the best way for her to go. I, I would have wanted to see something more of the whole idea of when she was being spun and the the katana cut something to create the locked room and, and all that. I think that was that was a pretty neat mm-hmm. uh, thing to discover and kind of piece out there. It's never a danger up again without a locked room mystery. Uh, you got it. You got to have it. <laughs> yeah. At least it wasn't a suicide this time around. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, interesting, uh, kind of grotesque to, with the idea of the, the stomping on the seesaw to have it go right to the, the blade on the top of the cage. Uh, that was one where I felt like the different quirks that when you're figuring out the case, uh, you know, certain things like, well, no, the, the blood was on the inside of the sheet. So there is no way that, uh, it could have been done outside of the sheet and little things like that. It's like, it's all starting to kind of piece together, but I don't know if I necessarily saw the whole like stomp on the seesaw thing until, you know, it was laid out there. Yeah. It's just that, yeah, the loud slam during the, uh, the seance when you're doing yes, it yeah. is just like the most, Oh God, I don't know. I don't know if I want to know what's happening. Yeah. After this is done. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of set that up in a, a very interesting way. Uh, and then Keo's character breakdown of the split sister personality. Oh man, I don't know if we've seen anything like that in Danganronpa. It's very much the uh, the Jack kind of subplot Mm-mm. from the first game. Yeah, the genocide Jack. Yeah, for sure. It's full. It goes full Danganronpa. That's for sure. <laughs> but you know, right at right up to the uh, the execution there, and oh, yeah, to have him. You'd almost were you were almost hoping that you know, Keo wouldn't be such a creepy character that he initially appeared to be, but it's like, no, you are every bit the creep ball and more. Yeah, and also I guess serial killer. Yeah, yeah, certainly with friends for his sister, ugh. and that's mm. why it's always always women and uh, gross. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we had the definitely the developing stories as you mentioned of you know. Kokichi was kind of just trying to mess with things, but you know, it really started to build towards his villainy and interesting. I think, you know, his character arc overall for a game that was you know set up as you can lie in these cases for him to be such a consistent nonstop liar, the you know, supreme ruler of the world. Well, is that really the truth or are you just lying? Is that the truth or are you just lying? Um, kind of had for me some interesting you know parallels to current american politics with people who constantly lie yep uh so that was interesting to kind of play off of you know especially when the game came out in japan you know before the election uh so that was that was interesting to consider uh but yeah his growth of villainy or at least portrayed villainy uh you had maki who's no longer the ultimate child caregiver but you know full out assassin like yeah okay ultimate assassin that's new that plays an interesting role and then if you spend you know more time uh, with her in free time you kind of go a little more into how she became that way uh you definitely had kaito's illness of you know the coughing and you know am i gonna gonna make it through the game you know with you're doing the whole workout with Kaito and Maki and you're kind of building that little friend group but oh Kaito's not showing up because he keeps coughing or not feeling well and as we mentioned you know the monocubs being killed off over time a lot of different you know threads going on here all the while you're wondering what's with 
everyone being dead? What's with the meteorites? Is there a world to go back to? Again, echoing back to, uh, you know, Danganronpa 1. Like, it's hard to get into kind of where they're they're leading those threads without, like, explicitly going right to the, mm, the yeah. ultimate ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, there's so much to, to kind of contemplate, like, retroactively looking back at, at that game and, and where they're going with characters uh, with how that game ends. Yeah, because they're all, you know, kind of laid out, you know, at the the start of the chapter when you're opening up the new area and everyone's like, oh, you got to find the different things to open up, maybe find some new labs for different characters, and then the flashback light. And the flashback light always kind of helps propel that story a little bit more because it's represented as, oh, revealing truths to these characters about them or the world. And it definitely breadcrumbs it in a very interesting and unique way. So we get to chapter four, and they're like, you know, no, straight up virtual world. Like, let's let's put on... (laughs) the PlayStation VR in a way, as it were, and uh, yeah. you know, go right into the virtual world. And so I think it plays off of what we were maybe pondering that, well, if this is virtual already, is it just a, an easy thing to do to say, you know, just have the consciousness go into this 8-bit, 16-bit sort of setting? Uh, you know, interesting to consider there. Uh, this was Miu's death. Mm-hmm. This is definitely trying to set up a death for Kokichi because he was starting to become, you know, pure evil at this point. Not, you know, hell-bent at a later point, but, you know, definitely becoming a problem. And so Miu's trying to set up something in which he dies, you know, set up the poison outside. But yeah, definitely did not expect her to have, you know, the tables turned that way, especially when in the virtual world, like she does the whole thing with the bridge and she's, you know, showing like oh, the bridge goes down the river and it's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? Like, yeah, it was a little, little odd that way. Um, but yeah, this, this is the whole case of, you know, there was the invisible wall between, you know, what we thought were the left and right sides were actually not a barrier at all. It was actually down the middle. That was uh, the problem. So when characters could be, you know, sledded down the side of a building and across that invisible wall, uh, you know, or across that boundary. And then there's the whole thing. Yeah. You know, she dubbed herself an item so that she could move past or something like that. It was, it was such a, such a a weird little trick. I I think I figured out that whole left and right side thing pretty early on, but it was just the sequence of events. And then uh, for it to end up, uh, in in the hands of Gonta to be the culprit, oh, that that hurt. Emotional kind of falling apart, uh, and also like the whole kind of scene toward the end of the class trial, where you know virtual Gonta is kind of recalling his memory back to real Gonta, yeah. uh, and, and he like genuinely didn't know what happened. God. Yeah, the, the whole bit. You, you had that truth bullet where it was just, oh, what happens when you mix the left, the red and the blue, and the left and the right? And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's it's where you hold your chopsticks. And it's like, what? It's the other hand. It's like, oh no, come on. Yeah. And it it is kind of heartbreaking going off of like what we see Kokichi had learned uh, at the end of the previous trial, and him kind of like revealing that to Gonta and manipulating him. Yes, yeah, and like him saying that he, like, he knew that the, there's the end of the world, there's no world to go back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, yeah, definitely easier to sway virtual Gonta who had had no memory of that. Um, yeah, that one, 
that one was a, a, a bummer to go through. Yeah, I think it's lie. a good trial because it takes place in a video game and it uses video game mechanics as mm-hmm. part of the trial. It's very clever in that regard. Yeah, the whole scrolling of the screens and all that. Yeah, it was, it was mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, but it's just it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And by the end of this one, yeah, you have Kokichi coming to full power. Uh, you know, his his sprite where it's like the doom purple aura and he gets the crazy circular eyes. It's like, oh, shit. Like, what? What's yeah. wrong with you now? Um, you know, this is, yeah, he tells everyone of the end of the world. Everyone gets in kind of a malaise for the next chapter of the, the despair and the hopelessness of what can we do? Um, going through that little platforming section with the hammers. Yes, and, yes. And finally being able to conquer that. Oh, uh, playing that the first time was, I, I had no idea. Like, it's like, <laughs> is it really supposed to be this difficult? Like, what, yeah. what gives? I gave up hope pretty quickly that it was at all possible. Mm-hmm. Although I'm sure there's probably like some MLG Pro yeah. run of that on YouTube or something. Some tool-assisted speed run, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I, I wonder how it breaks the game if you do get to the that ending right. before you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, good point. But yeah, it it goes full evil Kokichi. I am the supreme leader. Uh, I am the mastermind kind of. It is. It, it is. The a world great will be setup. mine. The, the text on, on that on that stone outside. The completion of that thread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I like that you know Gonto was the one checking that, and it is not really reflected until much later. Uh, what the characters uh, that the characters see that, and the characters understand that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's very cool. So chapter five, we get into. You know, I think Maki's hell bent on wanting to stop. Kokichi at any point uh, at all costs and uh, you know Kaito's been held captive by Kokichi you start getting into stuff with like yeah the exosols that kind of come back into play and uh, the the electro hammer to disable one of them to yeah you had the electro hammer to get past that electrified fence border and you discovered where the exosols were being held um yeah kaito is being held and kind of captive in the bathroom you know and he's he's getting worse and worse with his his illness and so you know how much longer is he gonna be held there it was definitely an interesting trial where it was you had the unidentified remains Mm -hmm. and then either kaito or kokichi in the exosol uh looking for a while there that maki could have been the killer, I mean, she was the crossbow there and Himiko saw, her, you know, or brought like the, the bag that could only have been the crossbow, which then Kaito knew how to put together, set up from a previous story event. And so like a lot of things are going to place and you're like, Maki, no, like you can't have been caught. You're an assassin, you're, like, you're the ultimate assassin. Yeah, this was one that I had actually kind of figured out just because of the very meticulously set up video camera for the uh the actual murder and i kind of realized what must have gone down Mm -hmm. uh and then the whole kind of mid-class tangent where it's revealed that maki actually did poison kaito yeah it's it's very good uh at miss it's misleading you even if you have kind of come to the right conclusion mid-trial yes as it always is so and the exosol when you know both are kind of going back and forth with uh, at first, it's you know, Kaito. Uh, no, it, then it's really Kokichi. And like, whose remains is it really? I think, mm-hmm. yeah, When if you're used to video and editing, it, it's pretty easy to put together uh, mm-hmm. what happened. But like, it's 
it was kind of a, an interesting, maybe only slightly heartwarming, like character redemption sort of thing for for Kokichi to to try to set up the unknowable murder. In a way, it was kind of a flashback to two uh, with with Nagito and and the luck and yeah. everyone trying to throw in you know, the to help disperse, but they really threw in the poison. So who really could have killed them? You know, trying to set up the, the unsolvable murder. But in this case, it was, you know, the, the unknowable murder, the unseeable murder from mm-hmm. Monokuma's perspective because of using the different cameras. I, I thought that was a really cool uh, twist on it and a, a slight redemption for Kukichi to have him be, you know, the sacrificial lamb, so to speak, uh, yeah. and to try to help everyone else out. Uh, but then, yeah, Kaito to to then also foil the execution, the punishment time. Uh, yeah, to, to to die of his own free will mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, and and then get to see space again. Another flashback where you know the rocket ship that goes up, uh, you know, mirroring the very beginning of the first Danganronpa game. Yep. Uh, you know that kind of, and then they even make reference of it as like you know, new version or version two or whatever. Um, so yeah, again, like it's a lot of callbacks and trying to build your expectations. And again, it, it all goes to the ending. So I think let's let's get right into it because chapter six always so very heavy in mm-hmm. Danganronpa games. Yeah, um, you know, in in the first game, it was really just trying to piece together what happened when you had the, the masked assassin trying to kill. Makoto and uh, you know trying to figure out the the dead and then dead again um the body swapping there to really nail down the full culprit uh in the second game it's the whole unraveling of Jabberwocka as the virtual world and uh really trying to you know piece that all together and going through the ruins of the the Hope Speak Academy yes yes and you know the whole the whole twist with remnants, um, you know, that's that's uh, such a big moment. So like that's all in in uh, in chapter six. And in this one, at first I thought it was going to be a little weaker by comparison. Boy, uh, but then shit gets full <laughs> meta at the end. So we start with the the chapter one case revisit, mm-hmm. and Which uh, is great. It's it's super super great uh, to think that there's more that we did not see. Uh, yeah. You know, because we were all resigned to the fact that you know Kaede did it to sacrifice and save everyone, but if to think that even she was set up, it's a great additional layer. Yeah, and I love just and as soon as they mentioned the girls' bathroom, I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So going going into that trial thinking like I got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then walking out of that trial thinking I don't have anything <laughs> anymore uh, is great because they they very much give you the tools to kind of start figuring things out to an extent. Uh, but also the kind of breaking down of the rules don't matter anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you know this is our fifty third go around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so obviously it goes full like, OK, hey, Dangarapa, what if this was all fake in a TV show and you all sign up for this? But I, I love that they, they introduce this and it's absurd and so unbelievable. And you, the player and the five characters are grasping at straws to basically make it so like that isn't the ultimate conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't just like introduce this insanity and then let it sit. I would say like. There are there's a tendency with video games to do that, especially like, you know, like 
big late game twists. Like I think of like Metal Gear Solid Five yeah. as a kind of a big one like that, where it just kind of throws this information at you and then leaves you with it. Yes, and that's how it ends. Yeah. Uh, but Dangarapa then spends the next two and a half hours just kind of sitting in that reality. Yeah, and you got to work through it, man. It's it's crazy. And it, it, there is like a legitimate working through it and and coming to grips with it. And I think where it ultimately ends up is something really poignant, uh, where it could have been something really cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess going back to kind of the setup there and figuring out the mastermind mm-hmm. uh, when because yeah, it all hinges on the fact that there is a back door into the mastermind's chamber, as you said, through the girl's bathroom. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting, but it didn't take until when they started to say, well, let's look at the alibis again. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. And it's <laughs> like, they, so it took me a little longer than, you know, initially discovering the girl's bathroom to begin with because I didn't, I didn't recall everyone's alibi. But yeah, when, when Samugi says, it's like, Oh, and I, I had to go to the bathroom. So that, you know, in the first case, like, oh, that writes her out completely. Uh, and I did find it odd going through the game because, like, she was oddly quiet through everything. Like, never really a suspect, mm-hmm. never really, you know, a, a player in, in any of these other cases. So uh, for her to have such a prevalent role uh, was really interesting, especially when talking about the Cospox. And the fact that she can't cosplay another real character, but then, and this is where you have to play, or at least have a knowledge of the first two games and their characters, when she starts going through every, every character from the first two games, it's Mm -hmm. such a cool, rewarding moment for for fans of the series. Yes. I like that the Cosbox kind of plays back into it is like oh no they are fictional characters and it's like oh god everything just starts unraveling in front of you everything's a lie <laughs> yeah it's not even that sumugi is is like the mas- the quote-unquote mastermind because obviously this is kind of unraveling to be a much bigger production than it seems mm-hmm. it's kind of like how they question everything but they they still leave it up in the air just like they did in that first game like to the to the final moments when you're you're kind of faced with the reality of like we got through this, but what does this mean? Uh, you still don't quite know one way or the other, yeah. and I, I I appreciate that. But it, it is cool to to kind of like finally go back and understand, like you know what was Rantaro's deal the whole time, and what's up with the flashback lights, and yes, uh, and also you know all those mysteries that were slowly introduced throughout Chapter Six, like the the hidden room. Uh, with all the the sleep pods in it and everything. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I yeah I really liked this. Ultimately, I think at first brush I was like, okay, if we're gonna do this meta thing, I don't know how I feel about this because it feels like it undermines the journey of the other games, right? Yes. It, yeah. Uh, but I think if they were going to do it in a way that had a, a kind of more poignant message, I think they did it well. Like you know, they have something to say about the way people take a work that exists uh, and make it their own Mm -hmm. and how people react and feel about a creator's work uh, that I think is really something that's like increasingly relevant in the video game space specifically. Uh, And I think they don't really shy away from that. Yeah. It was really interesting that, you know, as part of the production of it goes to see 
all the people that must have submitted their faces to represent the audience and all the different mm-hmm. screens and to show all those different faces there. Uh, that was in a way kind of unnerving and unsettling. Uh, yeah. that was a really cool moment. And, uh, for, for me, I think it all kind of went back to is, you know, we've been referencing of how we just keep borrowing our knowledge from the previous games. And it kind of all, all ties back to that. You know, we, we believe that this, you know, fictional work is, it's real in the space of the game. We'd imagine like it's, it's very real there because we make it almost seem like more than it is when we mm-hmm. bring it into our world. So I just, I was thinking through the whole thing and they, they play on the expectation masterfully. Like, all right, all right where's Junko Enoshima? Yeah. Where, where's Junko? Come on out. I know you gotta be Sumugi in disguise, right? Uh, oh, yeah. no, oh no, you're not. Oh no, she's really dead. Oh yeah. no, she's fictional. Like, <laughs> so like that was, that was pretty mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And there is a great kind of break for the series too, because it is always about like, you know, the ultimate hope prevailing mm-hmm. and the cyclical nature of that, of like hope then is drowned out by despair and then despair reigns and then hope, you know, fights back. But like, is hope really hopeful if it's just leading back into this cycle uh and it's also kind of taking that step back of the commentary on danger as a whole like you love these games but when you're in this game is it really that great Mm -hmm. Uh, like is it great to make these people that were once friends murder each other yeah to create just the next season yeah yeah, like genuinely kill each other. And, you know, playing back those videos of everyone's application saying like, yeah, I, I have so many cool ways of how to kill other players. And it's like, it, it it really starts to peel back this this kind of visage of what Dangarampa is because, you know, it's it's kind of pointing the mirror directly back at the player mm-hmm. and saying, you know, this is you. What do you. How do you feel about this? Yeah. And it does it not in like a condescending or patronizing way, I think. It does it well. I, I totally agree. Yeah. And when they set up the whole thing that, you know, well, well Rantaro was really the ultimate survivor. He survived the last season and he, he was able to bring some knowledge into this, this next season. And the whole idea with the, the flashback lights are, you know, they you could customize them to be a brainwashing device. And that truth was all, you know, subjective and it could be customized in that way. Uh, so many just you know, cool little, little twists. And yeah, in the end, when the first two games were all about hope versus despair, you know, mm-hmm. the ultimate hope taking down Junko, the ultimate despair for the, uh, the third choice to be presented to say, and Danganronpa to have the viewers tune out. Uh, mm-hmm. it was an interesting, you know, third option. And I mean, yeah, all, all that went into it. It was, I did not expect it to get so meta. And I, <laughs> I heard going into the game that like, all right, people find the ending to be, very polarizing, you know, take yeah. that for what you will. And I'm like, oh, okay. And it took like another day just thinking about it to like really come to grips on like what actually just happened. And it is mind numbing. And I, I feel bad because like I had like a casual conversation with someone who had not played it yet. And he's like, oh yeah, I heard it gets like really meta. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I like, I don't know what that means. But then like knowing that it, it really does dampen, it dampened kind of like everything everywhere of where it went yeah. uh, at the end, but it doesn't take away the impact of like what clearly a lot of heart went into how this ending was being positioned to the the player and, and kind of like the meaning there. 
um, and leaving like the I, I like two things like the one how it leaves it where they're going back out to the world and it's it's like well maybe those first two things did happen um, and maybe all of this was a lie I guess we won't know until we find out but also the second thing is uh, how you get to play as each character at the end yeah, uh, yeah. and it kind of continues what it lays out in that first chapter of like everyone coming to their own belief in their own ending their own crisis yeah, in a way. Yeah. It was a very interesting ending uh, in that regard. And for me as someone who had just previously had watched the anime and was expecting something based on the continual timeline that that, like those previous entries had been building out for such a radical departure. It feels like an odd thing to, you know, have V3 really be 53 mm-hmm. um because you know even going into it it's just like i think the creator says like oh the v is meant for victory and i always just thought you know okay like version three is the third game sure and i think yeah. that's what you know most people would expect going in but yeah when we keep referring to it as you know v3 instead of just you know danganronpa 3 like it's just interesting to always think it's like well yeah there's a reason for that boy i could look at fake danganronpa game logos all day oh though. It reminded me so much of the end of 22 Jump Street. Yes. Uh, It's one of the best ending credits to a movie when they keep coming up with sequel after sequel, sequel ideas. Uh, It really reminded me of that. And so I guess it'd be a a kind of natural talking point to say, where do you think the series goes from here? I honestly have no clue, but I've not been more excited because like, I think there's an easy way to just do another game. Like, Danganronpa 4 doesn't address any of this. Yeah. Right? And it's just, it's totally insular. Or it is in the same universe as those first two games. And it has enough hints to make us question whether any of it is real or not. That we're just left confused at the end of it. Um, I think it would be more fun to really build off of this. But I just don't know where you would start with that. Yeah. Um, It's a a good point. And... Because I, I don't think there are enough threads necessary to continue past this. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless it gets just super fucking weird, which you know, I wouldn't put it past them. But mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, give it a few years, uh, you know, for the, the series to kind of breathe a little bit, but then yeah, come back and and you know, give us another give us another killing game. But I yeah, I think you know, put it in that kind of like four, five, six range as, instead of 55 59 like kind of in, in that area um yeah although if like the next dangarampa game comes out and it's like dangarampa 54 that would be very funny for people who have no <laughs> idea what's happening yeah that's a good point yeah yeah not even v4 just yeah just, just say 54. 54 oh that, that's that's real funny <laughs> yeah they're like do i have to play the first other 53 games yeah, it's like man this series really got took off in a way i wasn't expecting i mean we make the joke about final fantasy but geez come on yeah yeah man japanese games are weird mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's the summation of the whole game japanese games are weird yup what were some of your favorite characters and like who did you have i guess you the if you didn't spend much you know free time you don't have any of the the max level friendships but just i guess some of the characters that you liked more than others i think maki was probably my favorite she's really cool and kind of like once you you start to be able to peel back her her history as like the ultimate assassin versus the ultimate child caregiver is really cool i liked samugi too um because there is definitely like an earnestness in her 
backstory if you do get it mm-hmm. assuming like everything that she tells you is true you understand why she would she would be the kind of person to bankroll a game like this yeah uh and and be the the character that she is um because of her kind of obsession with other characters mm-hmm. i think those two mm-hmm. stood out to me the most yeah i, I was working towards uh Sumugi's friendship uh you know at the end there i maybe got like two levels in uh but then he just yeah free time ran out essentially uh so i got the the max friendship for let's see gonta uh also maki kokichi which let me tell you that was interesting yeah i bet uh essentially like he was just he kept trying to to play games with you almost like you know a roulette sort of thing or do the whole game where you take the knife and you spread out your hand and then stab between all the different fingers and and try to do that um and you'd say like oh yeah i have you know two more games until i kill you or one more and like you almost just got the sense that he was a little more playful and not as serious uh though he did drop a and you know this game in particular the first couple chapters in particular uh very big and gosh even in retrospect it's very interesting to think about but very big on the the referential humor Mm -hmm. uh, referring to our world real life media properties yeah uh because kokichi definitely drops a it's time to duel really and it's just like and like you're reading it's just like like what uh, why like why is this here and like there were references to full metal alchemist and there were references to i want to say like what naruto and one piece or dragon ball like other different properties like this and it's just like why is this here but if you if you go back and think it's like oh it's it's the whole like meta and questioning yeah. that this is all fictional and what's really real and so that's that's really interesting to think about but yeah he definitely drops a that that Yu-Gi-Oh reference in his uh, his character progression. I will say, like one of the best late game reveals is that Kokichi is just like the leader of a, a gang of five yeah. kids that do pranks. Yeah, and just like he was just some innocent kid the whole time, yeah. and he was just like into playing the game and into living the lie because like he's a prankster. Yes, and it's just like this super depressing like realization that he was just way in over his head. Mm-hmm. He, he feels like uh, he's all that, but like he's he's not anything yeah and it's just like oh man uh especially like knowing that like he was so probably so committed to it himself that like by the end he killed himself probably is like a little bit of relief to himself as well and it's just like peeling back the layers of that character is just super depressing (laughs) Uh, all i know is that to this day my wife and i all occasionally drop the knee hee hee (laughs) it's just like and yeah it's a it's just yeah a little reminiscent of that so yeah i think it was just gonta maki and kokichi were the ones that i I fully maxed out there i tried kirumi killed tried samugi and that happened right at the end of the game um yep but yeah like very interesting characters yeah i liked kirumi a lot um it was interesting to see a character like miyu be so vulgar Uh, Mm. i wasn't expecting that like it's like I, I didn't hate it but like i certainly wasn't expecting it and then uh akibo 
to not only be, you know, the robot character, which, you know, threw in a lot of questions of how is this possible? And well, if it were a virtual world, that, I, I guess that could be possible. But then representing it as Kibo is like the, the eyes, the camera, the audience stand in uh, and, you know, him to go berserk and start blowing up things like that. He was definitely a an influential character. I did not expect Himiko to make it to the end at all. Yep. But, yep. you know, good for her that she did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many. I, it's it's always interesting with Danganronpa games when you start and it's it's 16 characters and you're like, who's going to make it? One, who's going to make it? Two, how am I going to learn all of these names and associate them with their talents and it, keep them all straight, essentially? Because it's mm-hmm. so much to be thrown at you right at the beginning of the game. And it's like every time I just like, how am I going to do it? But by the end, you're like, yeah, I, I recognize all these characters and especially when you know uh Tsumugi is bringing everyone from the first two games back as the fictional character cosplay and the just you know twisting right into them yeah super cool moment but it's just like like i i know all these characters and it's it's always amazing to see you know going into a Danganronpa game versus coming out of it and and it feels like a lot going in but you recognize it all there it is really cool because, like, ultimately, that's forty-eight characters that you've kind of touched base with, and and seeing all of them in that final scene is very cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's wrap things up, kind of with, I guess, the game's overall successes and its flaws. Um, I, I think uh, a flaw is it is its length. It is such a long it's, game it's, compared it's to long. you know the twenty-five hours or so that you're putting into each of the first two games and to say that it extends beyond 40 uh, for as many nights as we, uh, my wife and I, and we played uh, that granted it was nice to have things to do each night, but it's just like, I, I know that this game will end in chapter six. That's what it always does. But mm-hmm. when is it going to get there? You know? Mm-hmm. And I love intrigue. Don't get me oh, wrong. For sure. It's just, uh, I would say like, I don't want to say it's, it was poorly paced. I, I would say just like the, the class trials were probably too long because mm-hmm. um, there is a lot of meandering of like, well, let's close out this possibility and this possibility. And there are cases like that third trial where it's kind of uh, scripted and you're like, okay, I kind of know where this is going, uh, where you just got to get through it. And there are times like the fifth one where it's it's okay to, to kind of spend more time with it. But mm-hmm. I think it definitely should have like, up to the pace a little bit. And I think part of that is just all the different kinds of mini games that were thrown in there. Yeah. A, a lot of mini games. I wouldn't, I would tone down a couple of those for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in the third one, it's a good point. It's like certain things like Gonta being in the video room and you had like, there was only so much of the crack in the door. Uh, yeah. And like reaching the rod out. And yeah. And the it's other just door. like, like, no, it's, it's not possible. <laughs> like, can we, can we move on past this yeah. obvious point? So, yeah, certain things like that. It's a, it's a good point, uh, but when it comes to successes, I I really think the biggest success is you know turning a Danganronpa fans' expectations on their head. Yeah. Um, not only just with that first chapter, which oh god, I wish we could talk about you know when it comes to game of the year stuff, and we're talking like narratives of the year, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, remains defeated. Finch won at the Game Awards just you know, mm-hmm. within the last week or so. 
Uh, a lot of people put Near Automata up there as you know a really good game narrative. I, I would I'd love to bring this into this discussion because uh, there it does so much with uh, with what the players' expectations are and all of the different mysteries within. But you don't want to spoil that first chapter of the false protagonist switch mm-hmm. uh, being one of the best executions since you know the famous Metal Gear Solid Two one like. Uh, and like that, that sucks. Like you want to tell yeah. more people about that, but you also want them to experience it for themselves. Yeah. And I, I think like if you're familiar with Danganronpa, like you and I, it's easy to kind of talk around that stuff when you're talking about the later game trials and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's just like a, it's hard to compel people like your brother of like, I really need you to just play through the beginning part of this. And I know it's going to take like 10 hours, <laughs> but just trust me, it's going to blow your mind. It's hard to kind of get them in that position mm-hmm. uh, just because it's hard to even talk around it. And that's even you know, for a fan of the series, much less someone who's going fresh into the game. So I'm like, well, you really should play these, these first two games first. And then you yeah. go through this one. It's like, it is a, is a tough order. Uh, but you know, soon, you know, they'll have the one and two reload, you know, drop in price even more on PS4. Mm-hmm. This will come down in price. You're already starting to see V3 at, you know, $42 or something like that as a sales price digital on PS4. Uh, it'll definitely be more accessible. Uh, to me, it draws a lot of comparisons to like, the Zero Escape series where, you know, they have now the the Nonary games, which are like the, the 999 game and then Virtue's Last Reward are kind of in those, in that package now on PS4. And then there's Zero Time Dilemma, and it's again, it's another series where like it all connects, it all makes sense. But I know it, it's a tall task to you know play these games. But I'm really excited to see what is in store uh, in the future for Danganronpa, but also to kind of get more people into the series because in a year of battle royale, like this is uh, one of the the best examples. <laughs> Yeah, it is very much on the other end of how Battle Royale could be executed mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So I think that'll do it overall for our discussion of kind of just breaking it all down and kind of giving a spoiler cast sort of outlet to really discuss it all. Um, but Alex, uh, thank you so much for joining me for one. Like it's always, always a delight to talk to you and someone who's absolutely experienced with talking about games and uh, you're a, a podcast yourself over at irrationalpassions.com. I mean, give yourself a plug, please, by all means. Sure. Uh, I host a video games podcast, kind of a general discussion podcast um, called Irrational Passions Podcast. And then we have another show on our site called Inputs, a video games news show. Uh, that is a bit more of the modern game podcast that is more focused and shorter and more about the discourse around games right now. So th- those would be the two things I go check out. We're doing our game of the year content. It's coming up soon uh, through the last week of December and the first few weeks of January. So give that a look. All of it's on irrationalpassions.com. We're working really hard on it. So I hope you all like it. Absolutely. And yeah, your game of the year content this year is that's actually going to be really interesting. Uh, you know, tell people a bit more about that. So typically before, I like to reach out and have a lot of guests, uh, especially podcasters and YouTubers and streamers um, that aren't necessarily in the written foray of things, but uh, have a lot of voices and been playing a lot of games throughout the year. Typically, I would sit down with many, many people and do their personal top 10 games of that year. Um, and it ended up being kind of like more of a taxing experience because we had so many people I wanted to have on last year. So instead, I'm trying something different. Uh, we were doing 10 
discrete hour-long video game discussions about 10 specific games. So it is a different host and a different panel for each uh, game. And it is like just a list of 10 games that we think are or we wanted to have conversations about uh, from Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild to Wolfenstein 2 or What Remains of Edith Finch, things like that. Uh, there are definitely like some omissions on the list, like Persona 5 we didn't do because we have our Persona 5 spoiler cast, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we felt that was a strong kind of case or a, a strong example of a show that we did around that. Um, and like things like Cuphead or PUBG we didn't necessarily do because we wanted to lean more into the, the more different conversations that we would have uh, versus something that was a bit more mechanics driven. Yes. So it is not reflective of our ultimately what our top 10 games of the show will be when we come to that uh, conversation in our giant bomb style breakdown of categories and whatnot. But I think it is 10 really cool games that uh, in a year filled with really, really great games uh, we'll have very cool conversations about with tons and tons of different uh, voices uh, across video games. So, very excited about it. An incredible year for games, absolutely. Uh, you were kind enough to ask me on uh, the Danganronpa V3 show that you'll have for that, so really looking forward to participating in that. Thank you for, for thinking of me there. Of course, um, yeah. It should be a whole lot of fun, and uh, just mm-hmm. overall, I mean, the year that it's been has is, is been remarkable. Uh, have you happened to formulate your own top 10 list yet? I have um, kind of a, a rough outline. I know my top three. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm, more, I'm asking more of them. I'm, I'm curious where this game would kind of fall in around in what range. I don't know. It, it like I tend to favor new games over sequels mm-hmm. uh, in my in my top games in my personal ten games. So like I, I haven't really nailed down a spot for Danganronpa yet, um, but I feel like it will be on the list, probably the bottom five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like this game. Yeah. Uh, I hope it, it ultimately ends up on the list because I think it is, it's a really, uh, in a year filled with some of the best Japanese games ever, uh, it, uh, it is still a very strong contender. Uh, and that's, that's saying a lot, honestly. Yeah. It's kind of around, I think five right now for me. Uh, and that says mm-hmm. a lot in this amazing year. Um, it is it is unfortunate that I don't think it gets as much recognition because it is a sequel and it is so dependent on knowledge of the franchise and other other mm-hmm. games in in that series. But I, I, yeah, I, I wish more people could talk about it, and more people could experience it. It's worth your time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So that'll do it for this spoiler cast uh, for Games in Time. Usually a shorter show, but occasionally I'd like to break out with some of these more longer forms you can find the show at games in time pod uh, on twitter i'm at pete speak easy you can find alex at al fighter 27 thanks so much for your time and we'll see you next time yeah.